Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 229. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Proud member of the Education Podcast Network, Voice Ed Radio Canada, uh, iTunes, Facebook Live, wherever you are taking this in. Uh, we are happy to be on with you. And hopefully we'll be on uh, uh, Court Club Elite soon, maybe a new friend of the program. So excited, so pumped up. Uh, you know, what? I've had amazing guests on here. I'm fortunate and grateful uh, to have 228 uh, podcasts. I got a legend on here today. I mean, I, you know, you, you, not all guests are treated equal, uh, but Mr. Ed Rush here, I, I I can't think of any other word than legend. Ed, you're a legend. Uh, I got him in the waiting room here. Um, just so impressed with his career, what he's done, how humble he is, how how willing to serve others. Uh, just uh, blown away and become a friend of Ed's and uh, happy to associate with him. So we'll meet Ed here in a moment. Again, this is show number 229. I want to thank today's sponsor, Havsies Cookies. They are with us. They're a friend of the program. And it's holiday time. We got Thanksgiving. We got Christmas. New Year's coming up. Order your family. Order your friends. Send them some vacuum-sealed Havsies Cookies. That discount code is Marada 20 We got to get some to Ed and his family and his grandchildren and all those people in his life. Um, HavsiesCookies.com. Discount code Marada 20 you will not be disappointed. It's like one of Ed's good calls on the court. They're good calls uh, in your kitchen. So um, check them out, havesiescookies.com. Let's kick the show off. The opening topic is longevity. Ed refereed forever. Ed has been mentoring officials and leaders forever. Uh, he's been a supervisor, right? And what are the keys to longevity? How can you be at such a high level for such a long time. Ed has uh, 32 finals appearances. Unbelievable. Uh, helped, you know, with the ABA and the transition there and then came back to the NBA. He's had a, a career. So how can we be at that level? What are some keys to longevity? And I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from Ed, but a couple of thoughts from me, right? Number one, you got to take care of yourself. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, and you have to take care of yourself. You cannot perform at a high level if you're not well and if you're not ready. Number two, you gotta you got to be ready, right? Getting all your equipment, getting all your stuff, getting all your paperwork, getting all the stuff ready. Number three, you got to have good mentors around you. Ed talked a little bit about life coaches and, and mentors of his who've helped him along the way. you got to have good help right? People that have done it before, people are doing what you're doing. Uh, and the last thing I, you know, I would say is take clues, right? What are other successful people doing? What are, what are other things that you can add to your game, right? Always growing, always have a growth mindset. We're going to talk a lot about mindset today with Ed. Um, but I've been a principal here 20 years. I've ref 20 years. I'm married 20 years. I'm proud of all of those. And how do you do it, right? What are some tricks of the trade? So uh, whether you're in your first year uh, of, an, of being an official, a school leader, or you're you know, a veteran, those tricks of the trade, those longevity points are so important. But enough of me. We don't want to hear me anymore. Let's bring Ed into the program uh, live here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Ed Russ, welcome. Thanks, Andrew. So you're a 2020 man. Oh, that's really good. That's really cool. And, uh, and I love your stuff on longevity. That's really good. I'm going to write this down and see if I can get better. But I, I really enjoy your, your material, read your books. Um, you know, uh, I decided to plug into the, the podcast. And, I, you know, we're trying to grow, trying to learn, trying to get better uh, for the reason, just the personal growth. But really, more importantly, uh, each one reach one, reaching out to people uh, and watching their growth is really satisfying. But I was blessed at an early age very early age to be taken under wing by a man of faith, uh, a man who uh, loved athletics, who really kind of taught me how to take one step at a time and the importance of prioritizing what's most important in your life and starting with faith and then your family and then what you're doing, you know, athletically. Uh, and just uh, believe it or not, uh, I'm, I'm age 80 and uh, he's in his early 90s and he's still in my life. 
and still reminds me at every time what's really important. We all need those people. You know, we need people to kind of keep us keep the train on the track. And and uh, regardless of where we are, um, I think when we the more time we spend uh, reaching out and giving, uh, I think that that is uh, you know that's that's really uh, it's really critical. I think if you think about this, Andrew, um, I learned early on from Ken Truscott, my mentor, that it's much more important to be interested, ED than to be interesting. And if you think about that in relationships, when we connect with people, if we really find out, like, I want to know more about you, Andrew. I mean, I want to hear about those 20 years because I, I, that energizes me to, to learn that. Um, I don't find it as energizing to sit and, and, uh, and be interested. But interesting, uh, I mean, I, I think I'm, I want to be interested in you. Uh, as opposed to being finding my way to be interesting, so I think that um, uh, you you nailed it along the way. Um, you know, um, one of my favorite books is by Ryan Holiday. It's called Obstacles Away, and you're going to have stuff happen to you. I mean, regardless, regardless of what happens. I started in the NBA when I was 24, and I was not good. Uh, I mean, I really didn't have little. I had very little idea, but. Uh, I, I knew I had a mindset of really literally one opportunity at a time and be thankful for that. Uh, I was blessed in that I never looked at my officiating career as a long run deal. Uh, I was in it for the short run. I went to my, my I was teaching school. You'll appreciate this as a, as a, as a person who's an educational leader. I was a teacher and a coach and that was my passion. I wanted to be a college coach. And I went to my superintendent of schools, Dr. Kermit Stover, who was at Marple Newtown High School at the time. He said to me, uh, I said, Ed, what are you doing? I said, I'd like to take a year off, Dr. Stover, and I want to pursue professional basketball. I have an opportunity. Uh, at that time, I had, you know, just turned 24. And I had an opportunity to referee in the NBA. At that time, the NBA had nine teams. They were about to bring in the 10th, the Chicago Bulls. Uh, it was only 100, the small number, 110, 115 players in the league. 14 referees. So I'd like to take a year off. Would you give me a year to leave of absence from coaching and teaching? He said, yeah. He says, you know, we'll work that out for you. I had a great relationship with him. He really trusted me. I said, trust me, I'm going to do this for one year. I'll be back. I said, I want to coach. I want to teach. And I remember him saying to me, now look, he says, uh, be careful here now. He says, because these things don't last very long. You know, these leagues come and go. I said, no, I understand. I think they'll make it for another, I think they'll make it for another year. Uh, you know, and it was, we were not traveling by uh, first class and we were on, we were on buses and we were on uh, trains and those kind of things. But I literally, uh, was really blessed in the idea that every year that I worked in the league was my last. And I really meant that when I said, okay, I went through my first year and I said, okay, that was a learning experience. That's for sure. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I built a lot of trusting relationships. And I knew they reached out. I knew I was going to have an opportunity for a year or two. And I literally had a, a contract. It was one of the first contracts that they, you know, before it was a handshake. And we're going to make, you know, I started out with 60 bucks a game. I mean, that was a big deal, right? 60 bucks a game. Halfway through the year, they said, hey, Ed, you're doing a good job. Really like what you're doing. How about 75? So, <laughs> you know, I, up to, I didn't care. And 75, that's fine. Whatever you want to do. At the end of the year, the commissioner, Jay Walter Kennedy, called me. He said, would you come to New York? I'd like to talk to you. He said, you know, uh, we're, ex we're, getting, we're expanding more teams, and we need to have more full-time officials. And I said, okay, what, uh, you know, Mr. Kennedy, I see that, but I'm, I want to coach. I'm going to go back to teaching. He says, well, I'd like you to come up. So I came up, and he sat down, and he said to me, uh, what do you need? I said, well, I'm coaching football for $500, and I am I – am, coaching baseball assistant coach for $300 and I'm teaching school, you know, health and PA, uh, doing a little driver training, jack of all trades for $5,000. So if you, it says, okay, I add that up. That sounds like $5,800. I said, yeah, that's what that is. So he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do it for you. He says, I'm going to give you a guarantee of a hundred dollars a game. And I'm going to write this contract up that I'm going to guarantee you 60 games. I sat there and I said, wow, I just got a $200 raise. 
and I'm going to get all my expenses paid, and I'm going to see the country and and referee these games. You know, I'm going to get to go to L.A. and San Francisco. So I said, well, let me think about it, uh, Mr. Kennedy. And <clears throat> so you know, I came back. I said, okay, we'll do this. And he drew up a contract. It was a little tiny little piece of paper and about two paragraphs, and I signed it, and that was my first deal. And I had to go back to Dr. Stover and say, hey, I appreciate you keeping this open, but I'm going to stay on here for at least one more year. <laughs> and he, uh, so he said, well, I can't hold your job, but if you come back, I'm sure we can find a place for you. So every year was my last year. Wow. And of course, of course, we got the game changed because we got what's called TV money. And of course, the interest in professional basketball and it was growing phenomenally. You know, and you think about what was going on in Madison Square Garden and then in L.A., you know, with Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. Um, and all of a sudden, like the interest in the game nationally. And we actually got national TV money. Which, a, which was a really, really big deal. So that was uh, that was about about the longevity. But I, I I think the secret, and I in mentoring officials now, I try to we try to talk about it's so critical to be process oriented and not outcome oriented. Let the outcome take care of itself. Be in a place where I'm working on my game, I'm working on my life, and then at the end of the day, doors will open, opportunities will come. And with that, uh, you'll get you'll find that there's a lot of joy. There's there's no better joy than knowing that you're growing and becoming a better human being, um, knowing that there's going to be obstacles along the way. So, that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, we jumped right in. The power of stories, Ed. It's it's fantastic. And not only did you have the longevity, you were one of the best. You did 32 finals. How how did you not only do it each night, but get to be one of the best there to to be in those to be in those finals each and every year? Uh, you know, uh, it wasn't because I was a great referee. Trust me. Uh, I mean, I I think I was an overachiever. I worked really hard in my game, but I had I had great teachers. I mean, the best. Uh, if you go to the Hall of Fame, you'll see Mandy Rudolph. Well, um, I was really blessed. He took me under wing from day one. You know, and just taught me, he taught me how to manage money. I was 24 years old, 25 years old, and I, I had no idea. You know, I mean, at Westchester University, they didn't teach you how to manage your money. They didn't teach you the value of giving back. And and so I learned so many of those things. But I think what it came down to, Andrew, was that um, as we continue to advance, as the league grew, uh, I kind of grew with it as far as eventually becoming a crew chief. Remember, we were only working two officials at a time. Wow. So, you know, I mean, half, over half my career, I worked two. You know, so that was one of those things where uh, a lot of it, it's, it was amazing when you look back. I was talking to um, Hall of Fame coach George Carl about this recently, and a lot of it had to do with how well you worked with your fellow official. Like, if you weren't the crew chief, like, how well could I go on the floor and work with Mandy Rudolph. How well could I work with Earl Strom or Normie Drucker or Joe Gashu, the great official of their time? How well did I do that, right? And because it was all about being a great team. And so I fit in with a lot of those guys. And so they, I found that I got deep into playoff series and then eventually, uh, you know, got to the finals. And I think my was my fifth year that um, – I was just about, just not quite 30 years old. And I got to the finals in 1972. I worked the league's uh, anniversary um, all-star game. It was in San Diego. And it was a great event. And I had the privilege of working that with Mendy. It was a great, one of the things I'll never, never forget. But, um, you know, the finals games then, um, they were just uh, another challenge. And you just had to, you know, continue to get better. I think, um my friend Joe Madden, you know, managed so many great teams. He always he talks about to be successful. Well, we need to make sure we embrace the pressure, like enjoy the pressure, and never let the pressure overcome the pleasure. So it, it you know, when you walk out there, it's got to be fun. I mean, you walk across the line, you know, you refereed, you know what that adrenaline feels like, that that little pop that you get for being out there, and um, 
yeah, that was, uh, you love being connected to the competition. And when you know, the stakes are high and, and people are playing really, really hard, that's a, that's a blessing and a privilege to be there. And the whole idea is to get all the plays right. Knowing that you're not going to get them all right, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you go to the next game and try to do the same thing. But um, it's all process-oriented, and, and I think in finale, um, I, I think you have to be careful in, well, in anything in life, but you have to really be careful to make sure that you manage a, if you have a perfectionist personality, then you have to be very careful to manage, to be able to manage that because that can be psychologically damaging because, uh, because it's just not going to happen, but you can, you can work on becoming the best version of yourself, you know, and just measure. You have to be, you know, self-appraisal is so important. And that's something that I also learned early on. Know where you are before you know where you're going. So, Ed, you had an amazing run there, uh, again, all those years. And then you transitioned to become the supervisor of the officials. How did, how did you change there? What, what changed for you? And, and how did you go about teaching the officials and, and leading the officials in that role? So, uh, 97, I had my, my uh, fifth back surgery. And one of the one things that happens, my heart's good, my lungs good, uh, my legs turned out pretty good. But I had a, my I had my first surgery in 1980, the next one in '83, next one in '85, um, and thankfully I was able to recover from those things. I mean, they were obstacles, challenges, and to continue to work and and fitness. I had great trainers and people around me. I was in California, Los Angeles Rams trainer. Um, I worked with them on a daily basis, so. I tried to stay on the floor because I knew that I love doing that. And, and I, I felt that I could have an impact on, on a yearly basis. Tried to stay on the floor as long as I could. After the fifth surgery was in the a preseason game in uh, 97. I knew, um, well, prior to that surgery, the surgeon explained to me that there would be some consequences here if I had to have another one. And, mm. uh, and I looked at life and just put this, uh, a lot of time in prayer. My wife and I really just, uh, just really kind of add. I asked for God's guidance here, and I realized that it was time. And uh, so I remember the phone call to Rod Thorne, guy that I had tremendous respect for, and I said, um, Rod, I think uh, this is going to be it. And uh, I said, I'm not going to be able to do it. And uh, so at that time, uh, I took a year, and just he continued to stay in touch with me. And of course, I was still so in touch with the referees, but it was a time that I went back to doing some coaching and, you know, went to football and some things that I love doing. But uh, at the end of that year, he asked me um, if I'd be interested. And at that time, the title was director of officiating. And I really, uh, I wasn't quite all in. I, I didn't feel like uh, that really fit my still skill set the, the way it really was. And I know, you know, that's a really challenging job. And, uh, you know, you hurt a lot of people's feelings. And it's just one of those things where, I, I looked at myself more as a teacher uh, and somebody that could give, well, I wanted to give in that area, uh, yeah. but not necessarily the guy who said, you know, you three guys go over here, you go over here, et cetera, et cetera. But Rod was such a great guy to work with and he convinced me that we could be a team. Um, and so, uh, you know, I went, I signed a, uh, you know, a five-year deal and it was, you know, it was worthwhile uh, to do that, but I learned so much. And, um, I mean, every month I learned Then I learned from David Stern. I mean, my office was right next to his and he wow. was a, a unique leader. Um, and, and, uh, he, there's not a book written on the way he led. Uh, I learned from, uh, Russ Granick, great man, uh, tremendous leader, great basketball man. And, and those guys, uh, really helped me on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't think that I was a born administrator, so to speak. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that um, I did when I got to the league office was that I told David, I said, I, Daryl Garrison did this in a phenomenal way. He was one of a kind. I mean, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, he was, he had such an impact, but his leadership, he was so strong uh, and his messaging was so, but he did this essentially by himself. And he had one fella working with him, Aaron Wade, but basically this was a, a group of 55, 60 officials that he led 
And the first thing I said to David, I said, I can't do it this way. I said, I'm just not capable. And this was just before now we were doing all these emails, right? We were getting ready to do that, right? And he said, okay, what do you want to do? I said, I'd like to put together a team. And so he said, all right, let's talk about it. I said, well, the first person I want to talk to you about is Bob Lanier. And, of course, I knew Bob as a player. I knew him, you know, as a somewhat of an administrator. Had a tremendous amount of respect for him. And I asked Bob if he would come with us. He said he, said he would. Uh, we're, we were very close. I miss him uh, an awful lot. And uh, he came on board. Well, he was so good for me because he taught me so much about, I had to learn about communication and with people who were just like dying on every word you were speaking. Uh, you know, and even in recruiting, uh, he, he had a phenomenal sense of people. I learned so much from Bob and we, and he helped us with our decision-making, who we hire and who we don't, why. You know, he was a great reader of character you know, and uh, just a phenomenal human being. Lee, Lee Jones, who, uh, you know, is a guy who, terrific referee, came off the court. He was on our team, Wally, the late Wally Rooney, uh, college referee. You may remember that. And then uh, became an NBA referee and he helped, you know, tremendously. And then Joe Borgia, uh, who was from an injury way, came off the court and he was a rules, I mean, the best guy I ever knew when it came to rules. And of course, Joe built the replay center. That was his baby. He built that whole thing. Everything they do up there is is him. And he's, uh, he's since retired, but he's played a Hall of Fame level impact. That was my team. So I just had to make sure I, I spent a lot of time listening to them. <laughs> um, you know, because they're not screwing up, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, when when it came to the yelling, uh, a, uh, Dave would yell at me, and I'd say, okay, fine. But the thing about it was that, um, and David knew this. I wasn't in. I wasn't in corporate NBA looking for advancement. I was kind of back to refereeing. Was doing this one year at a time, you know. And if at the end of the year it wasn't going to work out, it was okay. Right. I, I was going to move on. Right. And I, so he could yell at me all he wanted and I could yell back and it didn't matter because I wasn't worried about whether I was going to be around for five or six years or 10 years. You know, it was just, uh, uh, and there were more times than not that he would say, uh, you know, we were living in Phoenix and I'd say, Oh, that's it. That's it. I'm leaving. I'm going to Phoenix. I've had enough. Right. You know, all right, go ahead. Dada. We'd have these little city fits. Then about 15 <laughs> minutes later, I'd walk into his office and he said, all right, sit down. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> Figure this thing out or not, you know. And he was phenomenal, and we. But I, I love those little fights because we, we, you know, they were, they were pretty spirited. And people in the office would hear this and go, "These guys are going to kill each other," you know. But we, it was very respectful, and uh, but it was energizing for sure. I yeah. learned some. I learned so much from the people around me. But Rod Thorne was about as good a partner. He was. I mean, he was my superior. I answered to him. None better. Uh, and his contribution to the game has been immense. And I was blessed to be, you know, at his hip. And I watched a guy who had phenomenal courage. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, he was Dion discipline. And I mean, uh, I'll tell you a story. You remember the Miami, New York series where mm -hmm. we had Patrick Ewing and we had, you know, we had Lonzo Mourning and we had all that nonsense. And Van Gundy uh, holding around the leg. <laughs> uh, all, that, all that stuff on the court and all. So uh, we were, that was us. We were in there and uh, Rod had to suspend like eight guys. We're right in the middle of the, of the um, playoff series. It was a war, New York and Miami. So remember, he, I don't know if you remember this, but he suspended them alphabetically because you can't take all eight guys off the court at once again. They wouldn't be able to compete, right? So, so we're, I'm sitting in his office and there was this 800 number that people could call. It was called, they, you know, they call it the big dark hole. They could, you could call and you could, this 800 number, and you could complain all you wanted. You know, oh, the NBA, this, you guys did this, da, da, da. It was one, it was, thank you very much. Well, nobody listened to it. It was just some way people could vent. It was fans could call in. So one day we're sitting in Rod's office and uh, he just suspended these people and he closed the door. He says, hey, let's have some fun here. So he turns this thing on. The guy says, Rod Thorne, I'm over here at the St. Patrick's Cathedral. It was right next door to the office. <laughs> He says, I'm waiting for you. So, he said, you come out here and we're going to take care of you. You don't do this to the Knicks, right? They're like this. And I said, whoa, I'm looking out the window. I said, Rod. I said, what are you going to do? He starts laughing. He says, 
He says, nothing. He says, the guy's crazy, right? I'm like, let's listen to another one. Rod, you're like a glutton for punishment here. But it, that was the kind of guy he felt no pressure. Like, wow. He was going to do what was right, period. He was well, not in, influenced let me by ask, Let me yeah. ask. You mentioned Rod Thorne, Russ Craddock, David yeah. Stern, Joe Borden, amazing yeah. leaders in the NBA here. Give me some points yeah. of leadership. Give me two or three things that you'd say, wow, it was this thing. Give me some points of leadership that you're talking about. As far as those individuals are concerned? Yeah. or Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think that um, – like if like if you were to take David, um, he was an uh, incredible visionary. I mean, look, the, the game of basketball wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for him and his insights about what could happen next. Yeah. David Stern is the reason why we have close to a third of our players are from outside the United States. He's the reason that basketball is so big in Italy and Germany and other countries because we've had this influx. That was his vision of how this was going to happen. So when you would hear him, so, I mean, I remember the day that we came, we came into his office and I said, David, we got to get laptops. We got to get guys, so all these guys on laptops. Because it was then I said, hey, there's going to be a thing here. We're going to be able to do video on the laptops, right? And he says, okay, I'm, I'm listening to you. And he had his all his financial people. You know, he had a gigantic office. Remember, was, there's like seven or eight people standing there. And I'm going through this whole thing about how we need this. And if each referee has a laptop, then we can connect with them. We can send them plays. We can send them situations. We can send them memos, two, three a day if we need be. We can help them with their daytime meetings, all those kind of things. So he says, all right, just with the financial guy. says, what do you think? Okay, fine. The guy says, well, it'll be between 250 and 300. Okay, fine. All right, let's go. I mean, literally within about three minutes, he made a decision because that was part of his visionary. He could see what was next. He could see that this was going to be something that we, he was always ahead of the curve. Always. Like we were just ready for what was going to happen next before it happened. So wow. I just think that, um, you know, we try to do this in court club. We try to think about, all right, what can we do better? You know, how can we use Zoom? How can we use streaming? You know, how can we make people feel that we're in the same room with them and we're, you know, we're really connected in a, in a really meaningful way, you know, and uh, we're constantly being challenged. And I think I, I really took so much, so much of that from David, you know, because he was, he was cutting edge and always a step ahead. Wow. You know, so, so I think the mindset is there is that what can we, how can we make this better? Right. One day we're in a meeting and he says to me, Ed, why are you doing that? I said, well, it's because we've, that's the way he's always done it. Oh, that was the worst answer I could have possibly. We don't ever give that answer. Ba, 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 ba. That's a terrible answer. This is the way we've always done it. How are we going to get better? And he just railed on me for saying that. He was right. Yeah. I mean, that's basically, that's basically saying we're going to stay the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So well, Ed, let, let me ask you about you now. I know you're very humble and you share the the the, the light on others, but how about you? What what is looking back on your career? What what is something you're most proud of? Uh you know, I I think um I think the thing that I think about is uh through mentorship and leadership with other people, I think when I became a crew chief and then uh, uh I were the pace where I could kind of help and influence others and, um, and try to, you know, teach people how to prepare. Um, I know that, you know, we started the, uh, uh, a lot of things we started like daytime meetings. Well, you know, we look, we, we try to look at what the teams did. What do players do to prepare for competition? And why don't we do that as officials? Yeah. Like, okay. And even college officials, like let's have a real pregame meeting. Let's look at plays and video, not just talk about the coaches, right? And so we literally carved out a, um, you know, certainly with, you know, the influence and the leadership of the people around me, like the NBA officials day, every game they have an 11 o'clock meeting. And so Monty McCutcheon, who is a phenomenal leader, uh, he, he and Joe Crawford and Mark Wunderlich, they provide the crews with video of things that have happened in the previous night or the previous week, things that they, we, you know, continue to improve upon. They sit in that room and they look at things so that we don't repeat our mistakes. Now, mistakes we're going to have, 
But if we continue to repeat the same mistakes, there's something wrong with the process. Right? Are we not capable of fixing this? Sometimes it's just we're not addressing it. So I think that if I look at uh, the way we've created accountability, you know, I mean, look, what really changed things, and I, th I think in our business, when we ask people to say, all right, like, tell us what happened in that game and how you see yourself, whether, whether or not you were effective in that sequence, and what could you have done better? Like, self-appraisal, big time. I mean, it's one of the most important things. We don't, in officiating, we don't have one coach for every three or four players. So the more we look introspectively, I think that's more in, in business too. Yeah. Like I, I look and I say, okay, where am I? And where can I honestly go? Like what can be something I can do to be better? And, I, and that was something that I learned early on. Uh, and I, you know, it was something that I did for myself when videotape first started out. It's really how I started mental training. You know, because I started a self-appraisal and I realized that I wasn't very good in the third quarters of games and my concentration dropped. I missed more plays in the third quarter because wow. I start, started doing evaluation on videos. And I said, gee, there's more ICs, incorrect calls in this period of time. Like what happened here? Well, I realized, so I, I literally went to a sports psychologist and uh, you know, a guy that really was big on visualization and self-talk. And I developed a program where I intentionally made sure that my third quarter was where my first quarter was because I always graded as highest on myself appraisal when I was doing my self grading was I was better in the first quarter, start the game off, I was ready to go. And then when the game was close coming down the stretch, my scores were high. But third quarter, not so much. And, and uh, I mean, I'll never forget it. I'm working a game in the forum in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, you know, they're playing Seattle in the third quarter. And I had like three, four plays. And I'm going, oh, no, I looked at these plays afterwards. And I, and I said, this is not good. I've got to change this. And I, I knew I had to get help. And that was when I started, you know, the whole self-talk thing. Literally, we would start. I'd bounce the ball twice. And I would self-talk. And I'd say, I am, first person, present tense, a great third quarter referee. Oh, that's my self-talk to myself. What a, a part of a brain to B brain, um, and was amazing. And I take a deep breath, visualization, focus, and then the other thing was was one possession time. Get this possession, good. Next possession, good. Uh, and that was tremendously helpful. But I needed somebody to help me. I couldn't do this by myself. So um, wow. I'm off the track. Um, yeah, no, this is fantastic, Ed, and yeah. really. I mean that can that can go in so many areas of, of leadership, oh, yeah. and yeah. we're we're coming down the stretch here. What was something that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about? Um, well, a couple of things, I guess. Uh, I had um, when I left the league office, um, my true overwhelming passion in life was the game of football and coaching football. Uh, I mean, you know, I was always going to be the next Joe Paterno. I was going to go to Penn State, and uh, and I, I just love the game. I love coaching the game. So my best friend in life is a guy by the name of Danny Hale, who, if you look up Danny Hale, is probably the one of the most successful football coaches in the history of the college game, and soon to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Wow! Coach at Bloomsburg, Bloomsburg University, um, and he coached originally at my alma mater at Westchester. Uh, we knew each other from the time he came to Westchester. And, uh, and when he graduated in 1968, and I graduated in 64, we're very close friends. We, um, we go to FCA every year with our families, uh, you know, just a, a lot, of, lot of things that we did in common. We had, you know, our faith. We still, today, he and I go and uh, we do a prison ministry. And we go once a month to a maximum security prison in uh, Pennsylvania and wow. sp spend time with these guys. And, but Danny talked me into, it didn't take a lot to come into Bloomsburg to help him as an assistant coach. And Trudy, my wife, you know, she's, she's a gamer. She said, okay, this will be a new adventure, et cetera. So we went there and uh, we had a house built and uh, I became special teams guy. And then he asked me to take running backs. And we had a guy who was an All-American that got drafted by the Falcons and was playing. And uh, I had really good players that was coaching. But, you know, and I told him, guys, 
I'm not, I don't have any of these credentials. So I'm going to tell you that you have to help me help you, but I great, I, we developed great relationships. I mean, it was phenomenal to this day. I hear from these guys on a regular basis, you know, their wow. families and the whole thing. We had a 14 year run wow. and we want, we, we won a ton of games. We went deep in the playoffs. Uh, you know, we were in, we were in a national team. We were ranked many times in the top five in the country. Uh, and the, I love the adrenaline rush, the competition on, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, but watching young men develop when we had, uh, you know, like three different guys that went to the NFL, one's still playing, uh, wow. plays for the place guard for the chargers. But, uh, wow. but the, the real badge was that we watched young men grow as human beings, you know, grow be becoming like great husbands, great fathers, great friends, um, being impact in their community, growing in their faith. You know, and so seeing all those things because of Danny's leadership, I mean, I mean, just what a blessing it was, you know, to be on the staff with him and to live this out on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I had two of the best years of my life was when um, they allowed me to go recruit and just to go out and talk to high school kids. And, uh, you know, there's two kids that I recruited that I still hear from every three or four days. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you know, we came, I was in their family. I was sat, sat in their house and just got to know them, uh, you know, lived their life with them. Um, one's a, is a, a very successful head coach in big school in Ohio, Finley High School. When he's a, a very talented coach, he's going to be a big timer before it's over. Stefan Adams, his name is. One of my great privileges in life was to recruit him. And, uh, and, and then he, I ended up coaching him for four years. Wow. One of the best football players that ever played at Division Two level, but um, that w- they were blessings that they had. And then um, just before the pandemic, had a really special little gift that uh, <clears throat> got a call from John Horse, the general manager of the Bucks, and he said uh, we just hired Mike Budenholzer, and he said that um, Mike really wants to improve on with his relationship with the officials, and and Giannis feels like this is an area where he has to get better understanding, et cetera. He said, would you come work for us, you know, and just be on our staff? And I, ooh, as, I in, as, in the, as in the Tampa Bay Bucks? As, no, no, the, uh, no, the, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, Giannis. the Milwaukee yeah, Bucks. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mike Buttonholz is the head coach. Got they it. Player, okay. they, have, they have a player, Giannis. Um, oh, I've but, heard of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, uh, I, you know, thought about it for a few days, prayed about it. So Trudy and I said, all right, let's give this a shot. It was a little different. And I said, now I'm going to do this with you guys, but you have to promise, you have to know we're doing no referee bashing, right? So um, that's my family. But uh, it was so much fun for two years. Uh, I learned a lot from those guys. I learned so much about game preparation and uh, and the respect and understanding we should have. Uh, As officials, we have to do better. And understanding competitive wiring because you'll have a better understanding of why people do what they do emotionally. Uh, being around Giannis uh, was just a, and having my grandkids around him. He's one of the greatest human beings I've ever been around. Oh my um, the, just the way he prepares, his leadership. But it's interesting, Andrew. He wouldn't really interact with the referees. And he's, he's their man. He's the best player okay. in their team. He represents them. And so... I had to kind of encourage him by reminding him what Julius Irving was like, what Michael Jordan was like in that role, because in Greece, where he grew up as a, in a very poor family, he had the ultimate respect for authority. Yeah. So he wasn't about to go, you know, on rail on some referee about some play. But I, we got to the point that, you know, he felt comfortable just taking a guy aside and say, hey, could you tell me about this, this and this? Uh, but you know, he and his brother are just beautiful guys and both of them are on the team. And, uh, so Mike Budenholzer was a prince and just being around John Horst, who's I think one of the very best people in basketball, a uh, phenomenal leader, a bright, bright young man. Um, uh, just a privilege to be around them for a couple of years and just, uh, kind of have the opportunity to take it all in. So I think I left better for helping the referees in court club because of those two years with them yeah. because I, because of an understanding. Uh, so I think it's really helped court club to, uh, to a whole nother level, you know? 
Well, you have some story here, Ed, and, and the journey you're on and continue to be on is, is amazing. I, I sit here so humbled to, to be with you. This is uh, incredible. You're you're an amazing person. Uh, but yeah, I, know you got a, I know you got a date with Trudy here. I don't, I, I, we're going into overtime here. So That's all right. Let's bring it down no to scratch. I don't want I don't want any technical files today, Ed. No, no, no problem, no problem. <laughs> no, we you know it's interesting because uh with uh, our schedule with Court Club, we're like, you know, we're on the phone every day with people and yeah. and uh we have these things that it's called 15 minute sessions. But you know as I do, when you're having an interaction with people and you're really trying to find out what makes them tick, 15 minutes is never enough, right? <laughs> you know. So um that's one of the blessings that we have. Zoom is something else, you know. It's it's really. I mean, you realize how it's changed the way we do our life, how we can like actually look at people and talk to them like we're in the room. Um, and it's been. I mean, I Court Club's been existing for 15 years. We started with DVDs, but with Zoom and streaming, uh, it's as personal a touch as you can have yeah. without being in the same room. You know, instant. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, good for you yeah. for reaching those people and. All the yeah. work you're doing. Let's bring you down the stretch here, Ed, and, and we'll we'll get you on your date. Uh, I know you're going to do some more service tonight, so impressed yeah. by that. Uh, you yeah. read a lot. You're well educated, Ed. What, what's the last book you read? These are the rapid fires here. Oh, okay. Well, I, I have to say, um, it's the Obstacles Away by Ryan Holiday. Um, I'm gonna order. And, yeah, it, terrific. Uh, Jay Wright put me on to it. He had his players read it last year. He was coaching. Um, he has a, you know, he kind of has a book of the year. Um, and I think, um, the, um, uh, Matt, one of Mac Maxwell's got so many tremendous books, but if you're in the leadership position, like you are, and you're influencing people like you are the book he wrote that says, and I just looked at it again, talent is never enough. And so true, right? Because we know that like coachability multiplies talent, character protects talent. You know, so there's a whole long list of things yeah. that are co connected as far as talent. And uh, that's, a, that's a remarkable book. And especially like, you know, the position, the leadership position you're in. I mean, you and I both know that there's a lot of people that are not as high on the talent scale, but have a great impact because they all these other things, character things, et cetera, coachable things. Um, and I, I look at myself and, I, you know, I was average talent referee i wasn't a great i had, didn't have great talent but i tried to maximize what i had and i was fortunate enough to have people around me that helped me get there but talent is never enough is a great book by maxwell i'm gonna do both of those order obstacles away how about movies what's the last movie you saw uh well you know my, my son ed uh was a top gun he was an f-18 pilot he was a marine uh whoa he was he was, he was almost a almost a general before he retired he ran. He he was. A, he taught it. Taught the at the Top Gun school, and, um, and so I'm really proud of him. And we. He was an advisor to that last. The the Top Gun movie just came out, and uh, so we went. Um, we went to see a little preview and uh, on the uh, on the air, the Midway, the aircraft carrier oh in, in 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 San Diego. We lived there during the winter, yeah. but and that, and that's where Ed lives, and and um, so that you know we kind of. Yeah, you know, we lived that because that was my son doing that stuff, and uh, he was—he's pretty remarkable guy. He does a lot of stuff like you do now. He's got um, you know online presence, very powerful. Amazing! So, How about yeah. your favorite dish? You've eaten in every city and every country. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm a big uh, raw seafood. I like oysters and oh. uh, and like sushi and that kind of stuff. My uh, my grandsons in California are big sushi guys and they know all the best places and they take me there. And, uh, so we kind of enjoy that. So the best, um, the best referees are the best because, um, I think because they, they possess great character and they, they, they have that little, that little thing inside that tells them what's right and what's wrong. And they do things for the right reason. You know, I mean, when, you ask them a question, they will give you an answer. It's not necessarily something that is uh, is manipulated, an answer that you want to hear. It's mm. the right answer. Mm. But it may not be an answer that enhances their position, but it's the right answer. You know, that's the ultimate in character. You know, there are people that 
do the right thing when nobody's watching. Mm. Um, and I, I just think that, um, you know, I've been, I've been blessed around, be around a lot of those folks. And, and, uh, <clears throat> I think that's the people that, that rise up above everybody else. Well, and you've certainly modeled that for many. Ed, you shared a lot of passions. What's a pet peeve of yours? What's something that gets under your skin? <laughs> uh, I have trouble, and this is something I have to work on, uh, seeing people who uh, have talent but take shortcuts mm. um, and they don't respect the game the way they should, um, that, that come unprepared and they're winging it. Uh, and I just, uh, I think that uh, if we look at the preparation of our players and our coaches, and we don't come with the same intensity and preparation, we're disrespecting the game and those around it. And um, when I see that, that uh, that doesn't give me a good feeling. I have these conversations uh, with one of the best referees in college basketball, James Breeding, who fits all the things with character, and he's a guy that you want to be with. And, and it's something that uh, it challenges him too when he ha happens to be with people that aren't ready to work. Awesome so. answer. Uh, incredible. Uh, at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, I feel, fill in the blank. <laughs> I'm usually not awake by then. <laughs> but uh, but uh, at, at age 80, uh, that's, a, that's a crazy answer. Uh, a question. At age 80, it literally takes me about 45 minutes to an hour to get my motor going. You know, okay. just to kind of go through meditation, breathing. Reading, moving, you know, start to stretch. Um, uh, so if I get up at seven, uh, if you and I have something to do at eight, I got to make sure I get up and get ready to go by seven, you know, to get my motor going. Um, so um, I'm I'm a, a little bit of a slow starter, but I try to, <laughs> but I try to finish strong. <laughs> I'll tell you uh, this, Ed. It's worth the wait. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, two word, two words to describe yourself. Um. I would say um, uh, motivated and uh, introspective. How's that one? Mm. Um, um, I just think um, I, I just I've just learned at an early age to think about what can I do to make this better, um, you know, on a daily basis. And and I am so blessed to be married to Trudy Rush because I watch her live this out. A daily basis without any, no fanfare, and she doesn't want any uh, out of boys, and you know it's just, it's just like it's who she is. You know she grew up in a little town in Indiana, and um, just she's all about helping kids and people. I mean the stuff that she does with our grandkids is remarkable, um, but everything she does and she's around it just it's better because of her. And all I got to do is watch her, and I learn. So I'm I'm. Uh, way behind the curve with her um, because she sets the tone and the example in our house, for sure. Something yeah. about Ed Rush that people do not know about. Uh, I think, I don't know whether people know um, how much I love competition and how much I love the game of football. Um, and I, you know, I could like watch games all day. I mean, you know, and I could, you know, lock and load Sunday and do the same thing. Can you and watch the a, game? Ed, can you watch the game, or are you watching the game as an official? No, I'm watching the game as a coach. As a coach. So yeah, so I sit like we have this double chair and our we have a big screen in our front room. My grandson Tommy, who's a freshman football player at Germantown Academy, he'll come over and he brings his pad. He's got this big folder of plays and schemes. And literally, he and I will sit mm. on, on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, and we'll just X and O. Right? And we'll just X and O. But, okay, defense rolls down here. We got the nine technique. How are you going to block him? You know, you know how are you going to block this guy on the backside? Da, da, da. And literally, we do football. He's brilliant. I mean, his mind is unbelievable as a 15-year-old. You know, he's, he's a quarterback, receiver. Uh, he's going to be a really good high school player and maybe beyond that. But uh, I love that aspect of digging into the game. And uh, I've been, I was blessed to know some guys that, that coached at a really high level 
Uh, Les Steckel, who was in the league for about 20 years, his son's an assistant with the Titans. You know, he was one of my best friends. Um, like, you know, I had an opportunity to really learn the game from him and from Danny Hale. So, like, I'll sit there, and uh, I really wish that I could still coach. You know, I mean, I coached the eighth grade team this year, but I love I, – I wish I was 50 years old, and I would say, boy, I could go back and just coach again, you know, wow. because it, it was uh, – I love the competition. I love the being around the guys. Football is really special. It's really unique, you know. It's the physicality and it's the play-by-play. It's a lot of teaching points in that. So that maybe people didn't know that about me because I'm their love looked at as a hoopster. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I can hear your alarm in the background. Trudy's going to come in and call. No, no. And last, last question. Uh, a, a quote. You've said so many beautiful things here. I am I'm beyond blown away by you and yeah. your presence. Give us a quote here to end the show. Well, I, I used it earlier, and I really think this is so critical because we, the better we are at relationship building, so I think that it is so important to be interested rather than be interesting. So that's what you got to think about, right? But uh, when I'm talking when I'm talking to Andrew, I want to be interested in Andrew Murata, not necessarily being interesting to him about me. Well, amen here. Uh, you were certainly both today. Uh, it was truly an honor to be with you, Ed, and uh, someone who's looking to make an impact on the world. I, I'm in awe of what you've done and, and how humble you are uh, and the impact you've had on many. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, thanks for doing all the good work. I'm, I'm enjoying it, and uh, just uh, keep the train on the track. We'll keep it. We'll keep it going. I'm trying to get to one finals. You were at 32. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody, uh, this was Ed Rush, uh, legend. Again, uh, the work he's doing now with Court Club Elite. The, the uh, website is there below. Check them out. If you're an official, I highly recommend you subscribe. They're doing so much to reach uh, officials, and Ed is certainly one of a kind. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it was was an honor to have you on. Stay on the line a sec, Ed, so I can say goodbye. But we're going to sign off here on show number 229 with the legend, Ed Russ, signing off here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. If I can help you in any way, folks, please reach out at Andrew Murata 21 Keep rolling, friends. Keep surviving and thriving.